0: All right, it's so good to be with y'all today. Um, As Brad said, we're where you guys were eight years ago, and it's a huge encouragement, first of all, just to know Brad. Um, He's very generous with his time and um, with his encouragement. But it's also really cool to be here and see what the future could hold for us as we seek to love our neighbors, love each other, um, serve people, all the same things you're trying to do and to see the impact that your church has had. Um, so I know a lot of people who have come in contact with you guys over the years and have seen what God has done through this church. So um, you've been an encouragement to me. Um, one of the churches that led me to want to do uh, what we're doing has is, is definitely been Mercy Hill. So we're grateful to be here with you today. Um, one of our elders is here. One of our um, new elders, Austin, and then Tim's here as well. Some of y'all know Tim. Um, so... We're just really grateful uh, for Mercy Hill and to be, be here with y'all today. Um, so our passage from Hebrews, um, the focal point is going to be verse 24. And here it says, let us consider how to stir up one another. So what does that mean to stir someone up is the question for us today. Um, the word the writer uses here in the Greek means to provoke a reaction, to incite, or to produce an outburst from somebody. Um, These definitions make me think of my relationship with my brother. I don't know if you feel that way about your siblings, but he's four years older than me, and like many big brothers, he knew exactly what to do and what to say to get me stirred up and to push my buttons. Um, He could definitely get a reaction out of me. Maybe your brother also pulled the, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, and get as close as he can to your face. Uh, My brother would also... Get me on the ground and pin my arms down and just poke me in the middle of the chest um, for minutes on end. And as you can imagine, um, that would provoke a reaction from me. But the worst was when we played basketball. Uh, We would be out in the the driveway playing basketball all the time. And him being four years older than me, uh, we would play all day and I would never win. For years and years, we would play. Game after game, and I would never win. About the fourth or fifth defeat of the day, he would provoke a reaction from me. And I would start cussing. I would throw the ball over the fence. I would yell, I hate you. I would say, "Um, that's it. I'm never playing you again. And I would run off into the house. And then five minutes later, I'd come back out, and we would play some more. So my brother was really good at provoking a reaction from me. And many of you can probably relate to that with your siblings. The word here in Hebrews is actually a medical term used for a sudden attack of a disease or a sudden worsening of symptoms, getting a reaction um, from your body. Another translation of this verse says, and you've probably heard this one, let us consider how to spur one another on. So the idea here is a cowboy uh, with spurs on his boots spurring the horse to get it to go and get it to go even faster. But here's the question for us this morning. Are we doing that for each other? Are we stirring each other up? Are we provoking each other in the best way? Are we inciting a reaction and spurring one another to action as the church? So yes, Brad, and others do that for you here each week, as they should, that's part of the task of the preacher, the teacher, and the elder. But what does the author say here? Let us all consider how to be stirred up by our preacher? No, the idea is we all do that for each other, to stir one another up to action. We also want to think about what kind of action. What kind of action are we to stir up in each other? What does it say? It says love and good works. The verse is talking about passion or zeal, something that starts in your heart and then results in action. It starts in our hearts and it leads to a new way of life, which a lot of you have experienced. As the gospel's taken root in you, it's led to a new way of life for you. You may need to look back a few years to see it, but you can look and say, I'm living differently now than I was two, three, four years ago. That's what the gospel does. Now, if you look around the world, many people are stirred up about many different things, right? People are angrier, more stirred up than ever. Something has affected their hearts and led to a response. And sometimes it's good, right things to be provoked about and to be stirred up about, like injustice, poverty, people being treated unfairly, politics, politics. Right? What they think is right for their country, these are very worthy things to be stirred up about. But sometimes it's very wrong things. Many are stirred up by hatred, bigotry, fear, or any other number of unhealthy stimuli. So they're stirred up by something unhealthy to unhealthy action. But if you really want an adult dose of zeal, If you can handle it, spend a few minutes searching the internet, social media, message boards, websites. The best is to just go to OpenTable where you can review your dining experience and see hundreds of people talking about how terrible their customer service was. But if you look other places, it's um, that politician's the dumbest, my coach's son um, is an idiot, this is my best friend um, in the world, and look what he's done to me. You know, a lot of passion can be on the internet or it can be on the positive side. This is the best fried chicken in the known world, right? Um, this TV show is amazing. I watched it in three days, you have to see it. So positive and negative, you can see people stirred up. So people get stirred up and it moves them to express it. We feel compelled to speak about it or send it out into the electronic world. I've done it. You know, I recently posted something on Instagram about a documentary that I saw And it so affected me that I wanted other people to see it. And so I put it out there. It stirred me, and I reacted. But often it seems our passions can be used up on what? On trivial or inconsequential things. Things that won't matter as much eternally. Our passion bucket can be emptied on less than worthy things if we're not careful. So, of course, apathy. Or caring about nothing (laughs) is bad. But what about when we attach our hearts and our affections and our passions almost exclusively to trivial things? Now, this is certainly me preaching into a very large mirror, right? I'm preaching to myself because when I think about this, I think about entertainment and sports are the first two things to come to mind. And I'm the king of trivial knowledge. Um, Austin may remember this Mexico trip. That we went on a mission trip a couple years ago and we started playing in the bus this game called who's in that which is basically you name a movie and then can you name an actor that was in that movie and I did it for like an hour and nobody could stump me alright so I'm the king of movie and music trivial knowledge and my wife doesn't know anything about any of that and um, she's always amazed I'm like babe, you've got a lot of brain space for things that matter and I've got mine taken up by a lot of things that that do not matter So, things like the Grizzlies, right? I love the Grizzlies, their draft pick, who we're gonna get. Um, Jason Isbell, one of my favorite singers, is coming to town, playing at the Shell. The new season of Fargo, a TV show that I'm obsessed with. I don't know if anybody's seen this. So, I get excited about these things and I'm stirred to action, like a lot of you. I buy tickets, I arrange a babysitter, I stay up too late watching five straight episodes, because I'm hooked in on the show. I text friends about what happened, that you're not going to believe this, you need to catch up and watch the next show, and on and on and on. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to enjoy these things. I'd be the last person to say that. Music, movies, sports, these are all gifts from God meant for us to enjoy. But we must be careful, because our passion and our hearts can be hijacked and misdirected away from the most important things away from the ultimate things. So what stirs our hearts the most? And are they most stirred by things other than God and things of his kingdom? Until eventually the things of God fail to provoke us at all. Um, I was at a wedding a couple of weeks ago, was talking to a good friend of mine, somebody that's played a big part in the church that I came from, and he was being honest with me about this. He said, I don't want to be at church anymore don't care about going to small group. And he had gotten to this place. So we've gotten together a couple of times since then to try to diagnose the problem. And this is definitely part of it. So what am I passionate about? What moves me to action? Is it the work of God around me? Is it hearts and lives being changed by the gospel? Is it Christ being worshiped and adored by more and more people? Is it serving and loving people in order to show off the beauty of Jesus? Am my passion about the people of God, the church being the city on a hill that it's intended to be? Where is my passion? One of the simplest ways to check ourselves is this. Are we stirred most by eternal things or by temporary things? What are we stirred most by? And this is why we need each other. It's why we need the body of Christ. To keep each other's eyes on Jesus, to keep each other's eyes on the beauty of our Savior... And then to spur each other to action, to the appropriate response to what's been done for us in Christ. To provoke each other to a life of love and service in the name of Jesus. Now, the way the original audience would have heard this verse is, are we inducing fits, attacks, spasms of love and good works in each other? That's how they would have read this. So are we doing that for each other? Producing outbursts of more than rants, tweets, and Facebook posts. More than mere words about the way things ought to be, instead are we stirring each other with the kind of passion that leads to action. Sustained, Christ-exalting action that really impacts the lives of people around us. Stop and think about it. Have you ever read a rant on Twitter or Facebook that changed your life? Has that ever happened? You may remember one or two from the day before or the week before, a post may cause you to think or say, hmm, that's interesting. Or to close your computer and disgust because you're so mad about what you just read. But they will not transform your lives. But think about this. Has an act of love changed your life? Has an act of love changed your life? Transformed you, given you hope, saved you even. Love and good work, service done in the name of Jesus can and do transform lives. So this passage in Hebrews calls us to stir one another up with the truth of God to do the work of God. We're to stir each other up with the truth of God to do the work of God. It also answers important questions for us that we'll look at for a few minutes. First of all, why stir one another up? To do what exactly? To what kind of action? How should we stir one another up? It's not just saying do it, but it's very prescriptive about how. And also, how should we not do it? How should we not attempt to stir one another up to good works? So we're going to dig into this passage, find these answers, and pray that God's Spirit would do it for us even now. That he would stir up our hearts to love and good works even this morning. So first, why stir one another up to action? Why bother? Why not just leave each other alone? Why not let me coast through my life and I'll let you coast through your life doing what makes you happy? Well, as members and parts of the body of Christ, we simply can't do that. That's not an option for us. If you look at verses 19 through 21, this is one of the more beautiful descriptions of what Jesus has accomplished and is currently accomplishing in our lives. That he saved us and he's continuing to save us now. But the author follows that up with what? Let us, let us, let us in verses 22 through 25. So here's the pattern For all of Scripture, because God has done this for us, then let us do these things in grateful response. Because he's done this, let us respond in this way. This is the why, the ultimate reason and motivation for everything, everything we're called to do as Christians, everything we do in life. And specifically, this is why we must be spurring each other on, stirring one another up to follow Jesus in his way of love, and his way of good works. Because the passion, the zeal behind our good works comes from this, from these verses. First of all, that we can enter God's presence. We can do that. We can approach the creator of the universe with confidence. We can talk to a perfect, holy God without fear of being crushed because of our sin and our rebellion against him. In all of our unrighteousness, we can approach a righteous God. That should be stirring our passions. How are we able to do that? It's by the blood of Jesus. The way to God was once only what? Through animal sacrifices made by priests. These sacrifices were made on behalf of all the people, and they were offered behind a huge curtain in the temple. But now, look at verse 20. There is a new and living way open for us. The new curtain is what? It's Jesus. We can approach God, speak to our Creator through faith in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is now the sacrifice. Jesus is now the priest. He's standing before God the Father for us, pleading our case, saying, These are with me. These can come into your presence because these are with me. Because I shed my blood for them. So all of that, is that enough motivation for us? If not, then we don't know the new in living way, or we're not focusing enough attention on it to be stirred by it. So let's work together on it. Let's stir each other up with that, with those truths. But to do what this is the next question. To what kind of action? What's it say in verse 24? Stir each other up to love and good works. Let's spur each other on to love, first of all. Okay, love. Love for who? Jesus told us in his greatest commandment love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So, love God and neighbor, love Christ and the people around you. Easy, right? Impossible. It's impossible, as many of you have found. <laughs> but with God, all things are possible. So, we can love God and we can love our neighbor. And what will that love produce? good works. Sacrificially serving people and not just people like you or people you like or people that like you. That's easy to do. That's easier to do. Most people do that to some degree. But Jesus said to do good for the hard to love, to do good for your enemies. Just taking it to a whole other level. A whole other level of desperation for the Spirit to work in us. So that sounds good. But what do good works produced by love look like in action? What do good works produced by love look like in action? The Apostle John, who learned the way of love from walking with Jesus in the flesh, he puts it this way in 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. So Jesus laid down his life in love, So we look to him and do the same. Jesus laid down his life in love. We look to him and we do the same. Laying down the essence of who we are, our time, our money, our comfort, our pride, our very lives in order to love, in order to put a spotlight on Jesus' act of ultimate love. So we must stir one another up, spur each other on to this kind of love and good works, this kind of love that lays down our lives, For the sake of others. But how should we do it? Do these verses get more prescriptive for us? How should we challenge each other? Well, these verses tell us. But before we get into the how, we must remember that only God's Spirit can change people's hearts. Only God's Spirit can change people's hearts and provoke them into action. But He clearly wants to use us here. We clearly get to be a part of it in each other's lives, we are His instruments. All right, we're like the big wooden spoon that's stirring each other, stirring up the passion and zeal in each other. All right, we are like the spurs on the back of his boots that he uses to spur us on into action, into love and service. We do this service for each other of stirring and spurring, but there's no guarantee of the response. That's God's work. We have to remember that. As we try to stir each other up, spur each other to action, for each other's good, we have to remember that only God can change hearts. But he does allow us to be a part of it. So how should we challenge each other? Verse 22, by drawing near to God with a true heart. By drawing near to God with a true heart. We only gain a true heart through faith in Christ when he trades our old heart for a new one. And then we're able to draw near to God and be led by his spirit when we challenge each other. It's so key. We have to be led by our spirit, the spirit of God in us when we challenge each other. Because if we're in the flesh, if we're working as our old self, then what will we do? Then we're going to be self-righteous. We're going to be harsh with each other. We're going to try to manipulate each other into the kind of action we want to see each other do. Those tactics will not reach anyone's heart. We need the Spirit to show us how to challenge each other. So we do it prayerfully, walking in the Spirit. And if we do that, then we're going to stir each other up, yes, with our passion, yes, with our zeal, but also with love, gentleness, and humility, trusting that the Spirit's got to be the one to provoke people. So, drawing near to the heart of God. Next, verse 23. How do we spur one another on? It's by holding fast to the gospel. Holding fast to the gospel, which is the reason for our hope. When we're stirring each other up to love and good works, we must hold tight to the gospel. It's like a captain in the middle of a terrible storm on his boat. And he's lashing himself to to the mast in order to be able to hang on to the ship. That's the picture of us clinging to and holding fast To the gospel all of our good works all of our good works are meant to bring honor and glory to him but it's got to start with the gospel right there's no other option for us why hold fast to the gospel because as we face life and death jesus working on our behalf for us is our only hope he's our only hope there are two reasons why we must hold tight to the gospel While we're challenging each other to action, while we're motivating each other to love and serve, first of all, we must remind each other that our acts of love and service are meant to adorn Jesus' ultimate act of love and service. So it helps me to think about a Christmas tree. Some of you that have known me have heard me talk about this, but um, Titus 2.10 talks about adorning the message, adorning the gospel with our good works. The analogy of a Christmas tree really helps me to think about the gospel itself is the tree, and then all the ornaments, the tinsel, everything we put on it, that's our good works. Okay, so our good works are meant to point to and to adorn the good work of Jesus. That's what they're meant to do. So, we have to do that. All of our good works are meant to promote the gospel, to put the spotlight on the work of Jesus. Because our good works are worthless without the good work of Jesus. So we must hold fast to the gospel message because it's the reason for our hope. It's the hope for the world. But we will be tempted to loose our grip on it. We're always going to be tempted to loosen our grip on the gospel. Why? Because it makes no sense to the world. As you've seen, as you've encountered people... And shared the good news. It makes no sense to the world. It's offensive, even. You know, doing good to get brownie points from God, to earn our way to Him, that makes sense to some people. People might get behind that message. But all this talk of Jesus' blood, His resurrection, if that's our message and motivation, then we might get some dirty looks, be laughed at, dismissed, or much worse. So we must urge each other to hold fast to the gospel. Because the tide of the world is strong. And ultimately, because it's not just our hope, but it's the only hope of everybody that we encounter, is this message of Jesus. Like I said, the earning gold stars from God motivation is always tempting us. So whenever we gather for worship, we gather in gospel communities, when you gather with your coffee groups, we must point each other to God's grace every time. We must remind each other that our good works will not and cannot earn God's approval. Our reason for hope is not how much good works we have done or what we're planning to do in the future. We could never do enough good to earn our righteousness or work our way to God. It would be like me setting out today and saying, I'm going to train to earn a spot on the Grizzlies. I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to work 16 hours a day training to get a spot on the Grizzlies. I could do that for a 100 years, and it would not happen. Okay? Also, if I said, I'm going to take off from this stage by flapping my arms, I'm going to flap as hard as I can. I'm going to keep going until I take off from this stage and fly to the moon. That is impossible. But what's even more impossible is to earn my way to God, to earn his approval. So we must challenge each other by holding fast to the good news. Let's remind each other that all of our good works should be in grateful response to what he's already done for us. We do not love and serve so that God will love us. We love and serve because God has already loved us and proven that love to us through Jesus. So remember the gospel. Remember grace. If we do that, then we will spur one another on to action. The kind of action that's putting all of our chips on God's ability and not ours. That's the kind of action we need as the church. The saying it's all about God's ability and what he can accomplish, not what we can do. So, Secondly, how do we challenge each other? How do we do this? Well, next we consider how to stir each other up. That word consider is very important. Because it means we call each other to action in a thoughtful and creative way we think about how to most effectively spur each person in our life on to good works. And this goes with verse 25. Next, we spur each other to action in relationship, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So from experience, you all know that challenge best comes from people that know you and people that you know, right? From experience, you know that. So as you meet together and share your lives with each other, You will come to know each other's skills, gifts, and passions. You will see how God has equipped each person in your life, before they were born, to do particular good works, according to Ephesians 2.10. So, we must employ, as George W. would say, strategery, which is a word that I use all the time, and it's not a word. But anyway, I say it a lot. We must really think and seek God about how to stir each other up to be the people God has called each of us to be. We must be strategic about it and put thought and creativity into it. Then next, verse 25, we must do it with encouragement, which simply means to speak courage into each other. Is this what we do as a community? Speaking courage into each other. Because really, we often know what good works we should do. We feel the Spirit priding us. We usually sense who God wants us to love. But we all know that love comes at a cost. Love is often dangerous, and we lack the courage to take up our cross and follow Jesus in the way of love. I lack that courage to do that. This is why we need each other, to spur each other on by encouraging, by speaking courage into each other's lives. What does that look like? Well, we shouldn't take the Army drill sergeant approach or the overly caffeinated football coach approach. Say, come on, get off your butt, do something. You know, that will not be effective. That approach, it works for a season. For some people, it works for a time, but not for long. Because when people do respond, they're only working out of guilt or fear, and they're cussing you under their breath. And guilt and fear do not motivate for the long haul. Also, biblical encouragement is not self-esteem therapy. Our culture gives us enough of that. So we don't need more of it from the church. I don't need to be told that I can accomplish anything I set my mind to or that I have all I need inside of me to live my best life. Why? Why don't we need to encourage each other in that in the church? Well, it's because it's not true. I cannot and will not accomplish everything I set my mind to. It's not going to happen. That's why I get so frustrated with all our kids' movies that we watch um, because that's the message of every one of them. You know, Dream big dreams and you can do Well, life beats you up after a few years, and you say, wait a minute. I can't do everything that I set my mind to, and I will not have my best life in this life. It's not going to happen. I don't need more self-esteem. I need more God-esteem. I need more God-esteem, and the kind of courage we need to speak into each other's lives is focused on Him and His power. God is calling you to love and particular good works. That's what we need to hear from each other. God is calling you He prepared, as I said earlier, He prepared before you were born to do particular good works. God will give you all that you need to do what He's called you to do. We all need to hear that every time we gather. God will give you what you need to do what He's calling you to do. 2 Peter 1.3, in Christ you have all you need for life and godliness. And then we need to remind each other about the power at work within us. We have the same power, the same Spirit at work in us that rose Christ from the grave. That power is at work in each of us and on and on and on. There's hundreds of ways to speak courage into each other, biblical ways. We just start with praying Paul's prayers for his people just in Ephesians. Just pray those for each other for a year and see what happens. But are we doing it? Are we reminding each other that if God is for us, who could be against us? Are we stirring each other up to try things that only God can do? We should be. And lastly, how should we do this? How should we stir each other up, spur each other on to action? We should do it with urgency. We should do it with urgency. Verse 25 says, do this all the more as you see the day approaching. So what is the day? The approaching day is the day when Jesus returns. Do we spend any time thinking of the reality that Jesus is coming back? There's people in different eras. And people in different parts of the world, even today, must cling to that every day. But we can become so comfortable in the way that we live, we feel like we don't need to think about that truth. But do we spend time reminding each other of that, that Jesus is coming back? And do we know what will happen on that day? Because he's not coming back as a baby in a manger this time. He's coming back to usher in a new heaven and a new earth. He's coming to complete the rescue of his children by dealing the final blow to death, to sin, and to the devil. This time, Jesus is coming in judgment and power, and we can stir each other up with urgency by reminding each other that Jesus is returning, and we don't know when. Therefore, asking each other these kind of questions, who around us needs help? Who needs a friend? Who needs hope and peace? Who needs to hear the good news that Jesus has opened up a new and living way for them? The source of all these good things we've talked about. What street neighborhood needs a home, needs a table of grace and belonging for the people on that street? What areas need churches to stand like a city on a hill showing people the beauty of Jesus? Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So who needs to see Jesus by witnessing how we love one another? This is something we struggle with at my past church. We've turned the corner on some of these things, moving to our missional community, but we realized we had all these small groups, 40 small groups all around the area, but there was no way into any of them. There was a lot of love going on, a lot of encouragement going on, but there was no way for people to come in and experience that that we're outside of Jesus. So, who needs to see Jesus by witnessing how you love one another? Are we spurring each other on with these types of questions? And are we doing it more and more because we see the day approaching? We know that our King is returning. So to close out, I'm, I'm 43 now, um, which for some of y'all, that's, I'm still a youngster. For some of y'all, I'm ancient, depending on where you are in life. But best case scenario, you know, when you get to 40, you start thinking of these kind of things, is that I am at the halfway point of my life, best case. Um, and this c- has created some urgency in me, urgency that should have been there all along because none of us are promised tomorrow, much less another 40 years. But it has created some urgency in my life. So let's simply remind each other of that, how short life is. James, Jesus' half-brother, said it like this. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. In comparison to eternity, our 80 years are much less than a blip on the radar. So what are we doing? Are we busy with the work, with the mission that God has called us to? Once we have this urgency, what is the most loving thing that we can do for each other? Try to instill some of it into the people around us that love and follow Jesus. Stir one another up to love and good works. Spur each other on to action, to proclaim and promote the great good news, which is the reason for our hope. If you're not in community here, I'm assuming most of you are, but if you're not in community here or sharing life with the body of Christ somewhere, I strongly urge you to do that, to be in unity, to be in kinship with other believers. But if you're already in community, Um, which, you know, if you have a family that you are, you already are. If you have Christian friends, you're already in some sort of community. So I ask you to do me this favor. Read and reflect on these verses for a few minutes a day over the next five days, Monday through Friday, and do it with your church, your missional community, your family, your friends in mind. And ask yourself these questions. Is this us? Are we considering how to stir one another up? Are we willing to do that for each other? And then, if not, why? Why are we unwilling to do that for each other? I'll close with a quote from Tish Harrison Warren, Um, her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary. Um, I couldn't recommend it more, it's amazing. Um, But she's talking about why we do this, why we gather week after week and do pretty much the same thing every time we gather. She writes this We made it through another week we are being the church speaking words of life to each other showing up for each other again I love that as a simple definition of the church what are we doing we're showing up for each other again for another week this is one of the reasons we show up for each other is what we have talked about tonight tonight today to encourage each other not to waste our lives but to be about God's mission to be about love and good works For the sake of Christ. That's why we show up for each other. To offer encouragement, offer love, speak peace to each other, but also to spur each other on. Let's pray. Father, Lord, the church is an amazing thing that you have given us a group of people that we are one with, that we're one in spirit that we're one in the same gospel, that we have the same Savior. Lord, you've given us a mission. You've given us all we need to fulfill that mission. Lord, help us, God, to look to encourage each other, to spur each other on in the mission that you've called us to do, Lord. God, give us what you promised to give us, which is everything we need to do what you're calling us to do. Lord, I'm so grateful for this church and what you're doing, what your spirit's doing through this body. I pray that it would continue. I pray that it would continue as every week when these folks show up for each other again, that they would spur each other on to love and good works. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.